Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Today, it's great to chat with Kristen Neff on the podcast. Kristen is currently an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She's a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, conducting the first empirical studies in self-compassion almost 20 years ago. In addition to writing numerous academic articles and book chapters on the topic, she's author of the book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. In conjunction with her colleagues, Dr. Chris Germer, in conjunction with her colleague, Dr. Chris Germer, she has developed an empirically supported training program called Mindful Self-Compassion, which is taught by thousands of teachers worldwide. They co-authored the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> they co-authored they co-authored the Mindful Self-Compassion. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like, why did I even say the word that way? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> self, I'm going to show myself good? self-compassion. Self-compassion. Yes, right. Self-compassion. They co-authored the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook and teaching the Mindful Self-Compassion Program, a guide for professionals. Her newest work focuses on how to balance self-acceptance with the courage to make needed change. Her latest book, which I'm so excited to chat with her today about, is called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Dr. Kristen Neff, it is so exciting to have you on the podcast uh, a second time. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> for sure. With these long bios, you know what I mean? I feel like I should practice them, you know, ahead of time or something. <laughs> but um, really excited to have you back um, and uh, to continue our discussion about, um, you know, your journey to understand the scientific underpinnings of self-compassion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm really excited about the new direction my work has taken. It's um I'm very passionate about it, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's um let's just dive right into this notion of fierce self-compassion. Uh and what does that mean? How does that differ from uh maybe more like nurturing self-compassion or I don't know what you what you call the other the other yeah. one. Well, yeah. Well, tender 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 tender. Yeah. So very close. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so um just as I didn't invent the idea of self-compassion, I actually learned about it from my Buddhist practice. I also didn't invent the idea of fierce compassion. So Sharon Salzberg talks about fierce compassion for instance. Um, the idea from this perspective is that sometimes to alleviate suffering, which is what compassion is, concerned with the alleviation of suffering, sometimes we need to be tender and nurturing and accepting, but sometimes we may need to be quite fierce, right? We may need to need to take action. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not only compassion for others, but also self-compassion. I, I like to call it fierce mama bear self-compassion. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's like gentle mother. Sometimes what we need is that unconditional acceptance and um, just soothing, comforting, being with ourselves in a supportive way. Uh, But then sometimes we need to protect ourselves, to stand up for ourselves. So for instance, I see the Black Lives Matter movements 
and um, the Me Too movements as self-compassion movements. Any sort of social justice movement where people are saying, no, you cannot treat me this this way, it's not okay. This is actually self-compassion in its fierce form. Uh, also, you know, providing for your needs, actually being willing to say no to others and say, I'm sorry, I'd really love to help, but I need to take care of myself. That's actually fierce self-compassion. Uh, and of course, motivating change, right? So although we can accept ourselves unconditionally, we don't want to accept necessarily all our behaviors unconditionally. Sometimes they aren't very healthy or all our, the situations we find ourselves in. Sometimes we don't want to accept them. We want to change them. And so these are all a, an aspect of trying to be good to ourselves and alleviate our suffering. And I, I wrote the book for two reasons. One, because over the years I found that people only really think of the tender side when they think of self-compassion. They always think to give yourself a break. You know, sometimes what you need to, is to do is give yourself a break, but sometimes you need to kick yourself in the butt, you know, to care for yourself. It really just depends on what you need at the moment. Uh, but the biggest reason I wrote it, and the reason I wrote it primarily for a woman, mm -hmm. is unfortunately gender role socialization really stands in the way of us being able to integrate fierce and tender self-compassion. Right. In many ways, it's like yin and yang, right? So yin is more the gentle feminine, yang is more the, you know, considered harsh, a hard, hard, powerful masculine. But, it, but the, the fact that we mass make it masculine and feminine is a problem because everyone needs both. So men are socialized against being too tender, right? They're called sissies, they're called names if they're sensitive. That really harms men because it cuts off men from their full potential, their ability to harness the power of kindness, of tenderness, of nurturing, of care, to care for themselves and others, right? And women, it's the opposite. Women aren't allowed to be too fierce. Like we, we like our woman to be soft and sweet and nice. We don't like women when they speak up too loudly or get angry, right? And so this disempowers women. And so it's not that women need compassion more than men. It's just that because I'm a woman and the book would have been too complicated to say, well, from the male point of view, it works this way. And from the woman's point of view, it works this way. <laughs> so I just wrote the book for women. Um, and also because of the Me Too movement and everything, it just felt like the time was right to speak up on this aspect of uh, what's been hindered in the female gender role. But it, I really do firmly believe it harms all human beings. Talk about human potential. Human potential means realizing all faces of love. And fierceness without tenderness is hostility and aggression. Look at the world we're in. <laughs> but tenderness without fierceness is like complacency. It's not enough just to sit on your couch and be happy. You know, we got we to gotta do something and change things. So it's really about the, the, the attempt to harness both powers and to integrate both. Oh, wow. I love that. So, I mean, so you think men could get something out of this book, too? I do. You know, it's funny. I've had a lot of my male friends read it and it is written for women. And I could see it might be a little, you know, a little off putting that fact. But all, there's a lot of practices in there and all the practices are designed to harness and cultivate both energies. And so the practices will certainly mm -hmm. serve men. I think a lot of especially men who are kind of allies to the movement, you know, they want their they want to see women fully empowered. They aren't. They don't think that patriarchy helps anyone. So if you're a man who cares about those issues or has a lot of women in your life or daughters or, you know, significant others, I've had men say it really helps kind of understand what the situation is for women. Uh, you know, men don't, they don't, they don't face what we face. They aren't, when they get angry, people think that men are powerful and persuasive. A woman, people think she's crazy. They, they don't believe her when she's angry. They belittle her. And so that woman get cut off from their anger. And that means it kind of goes pear-shaped and it's just not really healthy. So uh, I do think men could get a lot out of this. Um, but I mainly, I mainly wrote it for a woman because <laughs> the time <laughs> is now. It's kind of like, you know, there's, there's, so much, there's really, I think, a movement around the world of women standing up and saying, you know, the old way of doing things isn't working for us. We aren't just going to be helpmates. We aren't just going to be assistants. The way men are, we can't just say men will be men and, you know, well, that's just the way men are. It's like it's actually not okay. Things like sexual harassment, sexual abuse. Um, and so I really felt that this could 
help in that journey. It offers really concrete tools that we can practice to help cultivate these two energies. So, so that's partly why I'm so excited about it. I, you know, the people I've talked to just said it's really useful. It's helpful. And that's what I wanted. Something that's helpful. Well, you came to the right place. We have more women than men listeners of the psychology podcast, believe it or not. Uh, it's like 60, 40, you know, sort of sort of breakdown. So we have plenty yeah. of, of women listening to this today that will really um, resonate with this, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah. really a really viable message. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, I, I think you're doing a great thing with this book. Um, uh, what did you think? Did you, did you have time to look at it? I did. No, what I mean, I liked it. man reading it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I resonate with it, and then I'm like, "Well, does that make me less of a man that I resonate with?" <laughs> and the, you know, well, you and, know, the fact that you even have to ask yourself that question I shows know. you how screwed up gender role socialization is. You know? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean that that's an interesting conversation itself, which is that like, is there even like, what's the utility of even saying there's masculine energy versus feminine energy? You know. Well, that's that's why I like yin and yang. We can get away from masculine. I love yin and yang. Yeah. It just makes you don't even have to use those terms. Yes. yes. And that's partly why I do like them. Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessed with the yin yang, even like my uh, my doctor. Yes, my doctoral uh, my my doctoral dissertation was an attempt to uh, balance out the intelligence field with the yin yang, and um, and wow. I, I, I I had I, pr I proposed the dual process theory of human intelligence. That's so, right. Anyway. Oh yes. Okay, this is right up your alley. You probably yeah. should. I, I, you probably. I'm not an expert in, in yin and yang philosophy, so I probably made some mistakes. I don't try to be an expert. I, I just kind of use the metaphor. I didn't see any but mistakes it for what it's worth. It's so beautifully, doesn't it? It really Beautiful. fits. And also, agentic and communal gender roles, which is in the gender field, maps on everything. Like maps on this basic duality, which needs to be transcended. I mean, I can agree more. I so I didn't expect to go down this this alley, you know, because I have all these prepared questions, and everything. But let's let's stay <laughs> let's on go it. Let's, down it. Let's yeah, yeah. Let, let, <laughs> let's stay on this for a second. Um, I you know I don't think of uh you, you, like I like just to be really personal a second. I always viewed myself as quite balanced between those two energies. That's just my mm -hmm. uh my that's my being. I yeah. I don't say that any anyone should be a certain being. Like I that's but but I like I've always noticed that I um you know I think I'm pretty like probably like fifty fifty. <laughs> you uh -huh. know? But then uh -huh. but but I'm still a man. Yeah. So so I'm trying to understand that in the sense that like um. You know, I mean, I'm still a man at the end of the day, and uh, I'm just a man that uh, has a pretty uh, good sort of balance and appreciation of the benefits of both kind of things. So um, I, I suppose if I was writing a book, you know, Fear, Self-Compassion, you know, maybe my subtitle would be like how both men and women can harness the best aspects of each other's genders, you know, what I mean? anyway, that's probably how yeah. I would have framed it. But yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so how I, and I, like I say, I mean, I think you're a little unusual in that I know only 15% of the people can my walk workshops are men. And that's wow. because compassion is considered a female thing. It's part mm. of the female gender. That's role. a shame. That's and a shame. it's really a shame because the research is overwhelming of how useful it is in terms of, you know, if you're a combat soldier and you're more self-compassionate, you're less likely to develop PTSD or contemplate suicide, right? I mean, it's a, it's a strength. And so this is why I think gender role socialization stands in the way. And my personal belief is every single person has their own unique balance of yin and yang. It's going to yeah. come out differently in different contexts. Wouldn't it be amazing if everyone's allowed to reach their full potential and express yes. it in the way that's just right? For, and every single person is going to look different instead of trying to stuff people into boxes based on gender. Because um, like I say, I really do think in terms of anyone, this doesn't mean that I mean like we should all be the same. You know, everyone's going to be unique regardless, but everyone should be allowed to be unique and themselves. I Complete. It's all about self-actualization, you know. And, Completely, yes. And, you know, oh, for sure, as well as uh, self-transcendence. Yes. Uh, no, look, look, we're on the same same wavelength same here. Same page. Same <laughs> there's, page. Yeah. There's no no doubt about it. Um, uh, I, I am curious, like just a nerdy question. And I remember last time you were on my podcast, like three years ago or something, I would ask you a whole bunch of nerdy questions as well. In your empirical research, in the tests you yeah. validated, what do you, mm -hmm. what's the actual science say about the gender differences? 
So women have slightly less self-compassion than men. It's not mm. huge. We've done some meta-analytic work and it's very consistent, right? Um, and the gender difference tends to be a little larger when people are younger, less mm. than a little bit with age. And also gender, again, gender role identity comes into it in that women who are androgynous, you kind of identify more with the, the you know, on the sex, fem sexual inventory, the masculine and the feminine, there's not a gender difference. And so you, you might think, well, that's strange because compassion is actually part of the female gender role, <laughs> but it's because for women, they're supposed to be self-sacrificing. So, so what we know is that women come out a lot higher in compassion for others than men do in research, and they come out slightly less self-compassionate than men do, which means the discrepancy between how women treat themselves and others is larger than men. Because women don't feel entitled to meet their own needs because their, their value comes from being self-sacrificing, from being nice, from being giving, right? Whereas men, even though you might say compassion is more of a, you know, not part of their gender role, they feel more entitled to get their needs met, right? And so that that's, and that's, it's interesting that you have that dichotomy. Um, and so that's why women need, need to really intentionally practice self-compassion to mm -hmm. overcome First, this the socialization that tells us we should always be giving to others. And it's and it's also partly our sense of self-worth is predicated on people liking us and thinking we're nice. And you know, this is the feminist side of me coming out. The system's kind of rigged against us <laughs> because the system doesn't reward us for achieving and you know doing our own thing, at least not traditionally, the traditional system. The system rewards us for helping others. Well, who are those others? The men in our lives. You know, or there aren't the men's, you know, our children, but who are the, the children of the men in our lives. So the system is kind of set up. That is patriarchy, right? Women are assigned the role of helpmate. Our job is to help the men. And men are the ones who get their needs met. You know, again, I, I'm, black, I'm saying this in a black and white way, but traditionally, that's kind of where the whole system came from. And so in a way, by women saying, well, wait a second, my needs count too. Not more than anyone else's, but at least as much as anyone else's. And actually, no, I'm going to be able to, if I'm angry and I need to say no, I'm going to get angry or I'm going to say no. I don't want to harm anyone by doing that, but I'm not going to harm myself by saying yes when I really mean no. And so it's, it's almost like a political act as well as a, an act of personal, um, you know, um, self-actualization. It's, it's really both. The personal is political. I didn't come up with that one, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a socialization difference where if you're assertive, you assert your needs as a man that tends to be rewarded and uh, he's like, oh, well, we got to pay attention to it, you know, but right. but maybe not as much uh, with young women. And then and then those that develops over time. Do you think if there was um, a a matriarchy, like do you think if we had mm -hmm. a matriarchy and do that thought experiment? Um, it would be more, uh, there'd be more of an equitable uh, appreciation of asserting needs for both men and women, or would the power just be reversed and suddenly women would be like, we don't care about men's needs? I mean, what yeah, do you no, think? I, I mean, it's a, I don't know a lot about matriarchy. I haven't said it and mm. I know a little bit, but from what I understand, um, it is different, right? Mm. So it's not, it's not like it's just in reverse, that in matriarchies, mm. There's more value on the communal, on cooperation, right? It's um, right, those values, the values of like unbridled capitalism and exploitation. So I have spent some time with um, Bushmen, San hunter gatherers in the Kalahari. They aren't a wow. matriarchy, but they're pretty egalitarian, mm. you know, and they've got pretty there's gender role specialization, but they aren't rigid. So women will also kind of hunt and the men will also kind of gather and they make decisions together, and it's not like the men have all the power. It's just much more egalitarian. Um, and so I do think what's happened is you might say there's been too much fierceness without enough tenderness. The fierceness has expressed itself. It's like, again, capitalism, aggression, dominance, um, you know, I want a desire for superiority, all those things. And matters, the feelings, more tender feelings of the heart, of care, of kindness, they've been belittled in this system. And that's partly why, if you look at the world around us, what, one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in. Oh my um, gosh. Kristen Neff, yeah. I agree so much with that. And I, and there's an interesting sort of um, 
uh, not to like complain as a man for a second, but like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I absolutely not my intention is to take at all uh, the uh, attention away from your very wonderful point. But just to illustrate an example is that I'm, I'm, you know, I love writing on Twitter stuff like um, we really uh, lack tenderness. Like I, I wrote that tweet like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, mm-hmm. this world needs more tenderness, more care, you know, and, um, you know, some people are like, you know, like rolling their eyes. Right. And 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 I wonder if that's because I'm a man and I'm saying it, you know, and and it, so I think it sucks that we have any of these kinds of um, gendered things where like if you're a man, like and you talk about tenderness, you get eye rolls or if you're women and you talk about assertiveness, even you might get eye rolls. And I think yeah. that sucks all around. It yeah. does. Well, it harms, it harms everyone. So, Scott, I've, I've anointed you to write the follow-up book to mine, which is Tender Self-Compassion, How Men Can Harness Kindness to Discover Their Emotional Intelligence and Do the Non-Dual Theory, whatever it was for you. I just got chills. Be self-actualized. And it really does need to be written. It does. Because um, everyone does. needs both. And just you might say the blocks are a little different. Sometimes you need to go left. Sometimes you need to go right. But we're all aiming toward that center mm. of wellness. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's cool. So let's talk some more about the points in your book. I don't want to be that guy who then like directs the attention. It's like, you know, yeah. men have problems too, but I hope you understand no, no, my no, point. I totally acknowledge yeah, cool. that. I really yeah, yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. No, but you get my point is that, you know, like yeah, uh, anyone who goes kind of counter to their gender stereotype and, and unfortunately, you know. Well, I mean, but look at like, you know, Hillary Clinton. People don't mm. like her because she was too young, you know. Mm. The, the reason I go into the research, as you know, in the book, Competent woman, people don't like competent woman because they assume they aren't nurturing. And I love like competent women. women. <laughs> but if the research That's my shows, type. <laughs> but you know what I mean? The research I do. shows that I know. it's, uh, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little more young than Yin and that gets me into trouble. You know, so. You're a little bit more young than what, did he say? I'm, I'm more young than Yin. I'm more, I've got more of that powerful energy. I'm, I'm very, huh. I've always been that way. Huh. Uh, and that, and that, and for some, so I, I talk about it in my department that got me into trouble, you know, things that I did that men wouldn't, people wouldn't even think about if a man did it, they think, oh, she's too blunt. She's such a B word. You know, those things, mm-hmm. if a woman is too strong and powerful. So a lot, a lot of this is, as you know, from the book, a lot of it's my personal journey. I mean, in personal, it always has to be there and kind of how I've grappled with these two sides of myself. You know, I've always had a, um, you must say grapple with anger, you know, um, and I'm, I'm wired. I'm a little reactive by nature. I've got a lot of what I call my collie energy, you know, that that kind of fierce warrior yeah. goddess. Yeah. And you, but you, you can use collie, you can use another term. And so part of my journey was realizing that this is a strength. I don't need to apologize for this side of me. Yes, I want to harness this. I don't want to harm anyone's feelings. I don't want to hurt people, of course. But the engine, that, that volcano inside me is actually beautiful, something I should be thankful for because it's powered so much of what I've done in life. Yeah. You know, and when when harnessed for good, it's, it's an incredibly powerful force for good. And so anger actually has a lot of constructive uses. We don't want to belittle anger. We just want to make sure that it's integrated with tenderness. So again, we're using anger as a way to alleviate suffering, not in a way that causes more suffering. Oh, totally. Uh, it makes me wonder why did it take you so long to write this book? <laughs> because you, you would have thought that, you know, this would be an idea you'd have had like 20 years ago, you know, like. Well, the yeah. funny thing is, is actually I, my, my, my dissertation was on a gender role hierarchy in India. I was wow. all about how people balance rights and responsibilities of in Indian family life. And I was really into gender mm. and power. Yeah. Um, and so I was always kind of was interested in this, especially how people balance the personal needs with others' needs. So kind of Carol Gilligan and Justice and Kara, I was really interested in all that. And then I got on the self-compassion tangent. And so that's, I've been focusing on like that for about the last 18 years. And then like it's all coming full circle. I didn't even do it on purpose. I realized, wait a second, I used to study this. <laughs> I used to study thoughts about gender hierarchy and power inequality. And now I'm doing it in the context of self-compassion. Yeah. And it's it's so it's so satisfying to me because, you know, one of the problems that, or criticisms that can be leveled at people who do psychology work is that, you know, is it, is it just too much about personal wellness? Mm-hmm. You know, personal wellness isn't enough when we've got systemic racism, we have sexism, we have health inequality, we have global warming. 
you know, it's not enough just to turn inward. We need right. to, we need to do both, right? We need to change, make interchange, and we need to be engaged in changing the world. And you can't look at the world without considering issues of like power and patriarchy and racism and all those things. And so it, it feels really satisfying for me to be able to come back to my roots, you might say, and to integrate them. Yeah, there's a deeper level of integration going it's, on with you right now. It's a deeper now. level of integration yeah. going on, yeah. yeah. I see yeah. that. I, I clearly see that. Um, yeah, could someone – okay, this is a question I have then. Uh, could self-compassion, too much self-compassion or fierce self-compassion mm -hmm. become too selfish? You know, just playing off of what you said, yeah, you know, yeah. isn't there a point where – you could be like, come on, like, try focusing on the compassion for the, these other people who are suffering. Yeah. Yes. Well, exactly. So it's always a matter of balance. So um, I, I kind of talk about how, you know, the three elements of self-compassion, just to go over it again, are mindfulness, mm -hmm. kindness, and common humanity. And these are really the three core constituent components of self-compassion. Mm -hmm. So you need mindful, you need to be aware of suffering, you need to be turned toward pain without exaggerating it, you need some perspective. You need kindness, you need to care about that suffering, and you need a sense of connectedness. So it's not pity. It's like, okay, we're all human. And when and I've got how does that look when it comes to meeting your own needs? And the, and so kindness means providing for yourself, fulfilling counting, you know, saying I need to fulfill myself. Mindfulness is um uh let's see, let's see, no, it's fulfilling yeah, authenticity, knowing what you need. This is where I go into the whole human potential work in that chapter about nice. like, mindfulness leads to authenticity, really asking what's true for me. But common humanity, this is what this is where the balance comes in, because common humanity recognizes interconnection. So if you were to be selfish and prioritize your own needs over those of others, you would lose the threat of common humanity. Right. At the same time, if you subordinate your own needs to those of others, you th you lose the threat of common humanity. What common humanity really points to at a deeper level is interdependence, interbeing, this awareness of how we're all in this together. And so for the, re the difference you might say between self-love and self-compassion, self-love, maybe it is selfishness. You know, maybe narcissists do love themselves. Who, you know, whether or not they really do is hard to say, but nonetheless, there's nothing in the construct itself that would balance that out. Mm -hmm. But compassion, the fact that other people are always part of the equation, it kind of prevents selfishness. And again, if you look at the research, it reduces the sense of separate self. So I actually, believe it or not, I have a study <laughs> where I looked at how people balance the self's needs and others' needs when there's a conflict in interpersonal situations. And self-compassionate people were more likely to compromise. They didn't subordinate their needs, but they also didn't prioritize them. So that it actually wow. led people toward balance. And that balance leads to more authenticity, more voice, more relational well-being. Well, that's um, awesome. I'd love to see that yeah. study. Is that recent? I, it actually was a while ago. It was okay. a... Because it, I can't I keep do, up on all your papers. Well, it's because I had been doing research on how people balance, in the context of power inequality, how people mm -hmm. balance the self and others' needs. This was my interest. And then I got into self-compassion. So I just threw in the, my new self-compassion scale in one of the studies I was already doing, and I found this out. And that's why it's so interesting that it's come full circle. I didn't intend it, but that's where life has led me. It's kind of cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so many things are coming full circle for me as well. And, and I'm like, wow, yeah. that's fascinating yeah. how that happens. Uh, well, okay. Uh, th again, this is a really another nerdy question, but I was looking at the literature recently um, because I wanted to include some items from your scale in my book, Transcend. Um, which I did, okay. which uh -huh. I did, um, and uh, well, I yeah, I talked about the the merits of self compassion as part of our. our uh, uh, what Maslow called being love, love for the being of others. And then I said, you can love yes. the being of yourself as well. So then I argued you could turn it in, uh, turn it within the same spotlight. Um, but um, what I noticed is that in predicting psychopathology, some people argued that self-coldness is a better predictor than self-compassion. So I've been yeah. I've been wanting to nerd out with you about that. <laughs> you, okay, you want to get into psychometrics? I can go there. <laughs> I do love psychometrics because I know the reverse-coded items will, will form yeah, another well, factor. So it's, it's, been this, yeah. it's been this big debate, um, and it's actually been good because I've had to get really serious about my psychometrics. Hmm. Um 
So here's the thing. It, it is, I think the way it works is that the reason self-compassion is linked to reduced psychopathology is because you're reducing negative ways of coping with negative emotions and pain, right? So when you reduce self-judgment, feelings of isolation and over-identification, which are the reverse quoted items in my scale, that seems to be, if you kind of look at it psychometrically, a more powerful predictor of um, why things like anxiety and depression are reduced. But if you look at it, um, they go hand in hand, right? So in other words, we know almost every single intervention study you look at, when you increase self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness, self-judgment, isolation, and um, over-identification go down. It's like a seesaw. So yeah, it seems like one side of the seesaw seems to be more responsible to it, but they work together. They operate in tandem. And actually, a paper just came out using Roche modeling, which found a unitary factor structure. Mm. I've been... I, I collected 20 different samples, 13 different translations. So I had to get serious about my psychometrics using bifactor exploratory structural equation modeling, ESM, which is, see, it's a system. Here's the thing, and you would understand this, Scott. It operates as a system. People's minds don't think in systems. They think in black and white terms. It's either the black or it's the white. It's simple. But they aren't separate. They interact as a system, and they operate in tandem. So... I just, I'm, I'm writing up a study now which shows if you increase to writing just the three positive components, mm-hmm. the negative components go down. And oh. if you try to reduce the negative components, the positive components go up. They, they work in that's tandem. Cool. That's cool. So it's like, are they different? Well, yeah, they kind of are. And that's kind of marginally interesting and in what's the mechanism of action. But it's like saying, okay, well, is it wind speed or storm surge that creates the negative effects of a hurricane? Well, they operate together. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting, and I think it's worth looking at them. But first of all, they don't. it's not black and white. I don't know how to put this. It's not like there's two factors do not fit the scale. Six factors fit the scale, or one factor fits the scale. Two factors don't fit the scale, because then you're merging these things that are different. It's an interactive system that coheres. Yeah, so there really is a strong higher order latent construct there. It's not higher order. It's by. It's it's a. Oh, by. Well, you just bi-factor. said it's not by. But you just said there's, there's bi- not. No. Okay. <laughs> it's, okay. The so by factor doesn't mean two factors. I know okay. the language is terrible. It's it's just that it's not like there's one like intelligence is a higher higher order model. Right. There's IQ. G G G which explains these lower order factors. Yeah of, um, you know, of the intelligence verbal. So this is like, so it goes both, it's bidirectional. It's actually bidirectional. Uh, bidirectional. Words, okay. The items are, it's not like the subscales are explained by this higher order factor of self-compassion, which is like somehow above it. They're actually, it can, it can, it, it, it's what can, hmm, what's the verb form of constituent? It constitutes, it constitutes self-compassion. So it's not like there's this self-compassion thing out there that explains all the variants in self-kindness, mindfulness, common humanity. They 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 they, they, co- they cohere as a system. It's not it's not hierarchical. It's bi-directional. I'm trying that to think. Uh, I, I mean, show you the graph. I'm trying to think of how to model that <laughs> your, because your listeners are probably lost. They probably don't care. It's I don't okay. Know, I could, I'll send you a paper. Please do. I'm but trying to think of how to model it's, it's, it's that in ESDM, terms of... You have to model it with structural equation modeling. Uh, but I have to say, that's, even though the, the debate has been a, a pain in the ass, it's been good mm-hmm. because I've had to really up my skills. Um, yeah. And there's a brilliant statistician I work with um, from Hungary who, who's really great. And he's, he's he found a way to, to model it as a system. Uh, and it, it does operate. And, and it works together. It, it works in tandem. And, and all the intervention work research confirms that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into psychometrics and test construction. So it, I'm, the way you described I'll you, it. I'll send you the papers and, and also the Roche modeling. Because the Roche modeling, part of it is just um, negative and positive affect is interfering as well. So yeah. negative tends to clump with negative and positive tends to clump with positive. 
it does seem to me the way you're describing it is that it, it best uh, represented as a reflective um, uh, trait um, in the sense that it uh, um, uh, self, this idea of self-compassion, it emerges from the interaction of Yes, yeah, so you've got a general factor order. and you have specific factors. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the general isn't necessarily higher than the specific. No, the general is reflective. They, they, is they what go it back like to me. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. it's, it's probably bidirectional. You know, it's, yeah. it probably interacts in some way. It's not. It's not. You don't have to have the order. There just is there mm-hmm. both the general and but ninety five percent of the shared variance is explained by the general factor. So it's like that's good enough oh, for me. Then there is a latent general factor. <laughs> oh, there is a general factor. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Not hierarchical. Ah. Uh, okay. Well, we won't. We we'll, we'll put that. We we'll table that. Won't bore your listeners anymore. But I'll send you the paper. But it's it's kind of fun if you're into psychometrics. It's. Um, I can't wait to read the paper. Um, yeah. I it's 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 so interesting because you have some people in the field that are like so adamant about like it's all about self coldness. You know, like like we need to help people who are being harsh to themselves as a. You and, how, know. and how do you do that? Through your self-compassion trainings. I mean, that's the thing. If you look at any sort of whether it's. Yeah. Um, State scale, I just developed a state scale, whether it's short-term mood induction or whether it's long-term, how do you reduce self-coldness? You increase self-compassion. It's like they go hand in hand. It's like, gotcha, you know, yeah. you sit on one end of the seesaw and the other one goes, it changes. They, they, they work in tandem. There is no studies that you. show they operate separately. I hear you. So what's the point, you know? <laughs> I mean, I know what they would say. Okay, it is clinical intervention. It is clinical interventions. Why? How do you reduce self coldness? You increase self compassion. So, if you call it reduced uncompassionate responding, how do you how do you increase compassionate responding? Yeah, you increase it. One one person, this guy named, he talks about it's not it's not increased protection. It's it's vulnerability. Well, reduced vulnerability is protection. I mean, they go hand in hand. It's kind of like. Yeah, People, I hear, they, I see your they point. lose their they lose their marbles over it, and it's like practically it's almost pointless. That's to why. Talk about. Because, why even bother? Yeah, no practical they're, implications whatsoever. They're not going to the practical level. They're they're looking at just what is the best predictor, what items in, in a cross sectional study. Correct, correct. You know, if you do an experimental study, it yeah. all the evidence is is to say that these cohere as a system. And also cross-sectional psychometrically, but yeah, it's kind of this is a this is a problem when you've got a scale that's been used like four thousand times. People like to challenge it, which is good, but I guess good. It's good because it's made me get my chops in order. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think the scale is pretty uh, well validated at this point. With I, I am revising it though. This is I'm not I'm writing. Oh, really? I'm, short, I'm shortening it because yeah, it's uh, now okay. that I've got the better psychometrics, I'm going to cut reduce it cool. to 18 items instead of 26. So that will be helpful. Oh, good. I can. That's coming. Stick it in more into my studies. You know, like you know, be like, okay, well, we'll add this. And I'll have a, yeah. a six-item short form that that has a unitary factor structure. Okay, here's a if if you had to pick one of your favorite the the best loaded highest loaded on the general factor what's the number one highest loaded item? Hmm, I'm not sure what that is actually. I'd have to check. I I've got that data. It's um, the data exists somewhere. Yeah, I've got it. I don't, I can't. I'm not going to take my time now, but I'll send it to you afterward. <laughs> I bet it's like. Can I predict? It's probably just simply I am kind to myself or something like that. That's probably the probably something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. face valid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about the common humanity um, uh, facet because I think it's so relevant to uh, all the divisions we're seeing right now and all the the sort of the yes. tribalism. Now, how do you how do you um, you know, like if there are certain people that are really thinking in a really tribal mindset? Um, yeah. In the extent to which even anyone that resembles someone in their out group, they immediately have this visceral reaction. I like I hate that person. How yeah. can they learn principles of self-compassion, especially the common humanity facet, to maybe connect more with others? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's so much work to be done with this, Scott. Um, totally. So common humanity is a very tricky one. It's a tricky one to teach people um, because like, so, sometimes what happens – so so in the bigger picture is really pointing to the big interconnection, like the big kahuna, you know, it's like we're all interbeing, yeah. we're all we're part all of one, one consciousness, we're you know, the inter- yeah. you know, kind of Buddhist self-realization. That's where it yeah. points ultimately. Mm. But people can't understand it at that level unless you're on mushrooms or something. So in the normal, the normal waking state, um, what happens sometimes with common humanity is 
uh, people start it almost misinterpret it to mean that somehow belittles their own suffering. When I say things like you aren't alone, other people feel this way. Right. Sometimes it's really important to counter the isolation, but sometimes people feel that kind of belittles their suffering. And again, because it's hard, the mind is so comparative and it's probably we're just wired that way. We're always trying to compare. How do I compare to others? Do they suffer more than me? Do they suffer less than me? Who's, you know, who's special or above average? Who's not? It's very hard to, come to this place where each each individual is unique and precious mm. and yet we're all part of this larger whole so honoring the whole doesn't somehow devalue the individual and it's kind of again a systems way of thinking that, that's just challenging for people so I, when i teach it i often just talk about trying to help people feel less alone because isolation actually it's looking like that's probably the most powerful contributor to psychopathology, that feeling of isolation and being separate, believe it or not, even more than the self-judgment seems to be the most important it. predictor of depression, for it. instance. Yeah. And so when I teach self-compassion, I usually just try to help people understand that they aren't alone. Mm. And sometimes it can actually be useful to think of members of your group and that you aren't alone. So especially if you're a marginalized group. You know, so look at like the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement. In this in this sense, what's happening is people are like feeling less alone by identifying with members of their group. And that's not a bad thing. Right. So, I mean, it, it can it's uh, it's complicated. Right. So when you when you kind of get rid of group or you get a, rid of group identity and try to say we're all one, like, well, yeah. all lives matter. And that can be a problem because you're in a way kind of invalidating the fact that group membership does count. You know, it is part of our identity. So if it serves people to feel more connected to their group, then I think there's not necessarily a problem with it. It's only when you start dehumanizing people. That's where the problem comes in. Dehumanizing people who are outgroup members or dehumanizing yourself. I mean, some people. Actually, right. they dehumanize themselves. And so from that point of view, I think the element of humanity, the everyone, you know, the second they, we, take, we take our first breath in this world, we don't need to earn the right to compassion. It is our birthright. You know, then you can even extend that to animals or, you know, <laughs> but plants, they, they, plants even. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a it's a complex. You construct. see why it's, you see it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. And, uh, and so I was, I'm kind of a, ultimately I'm a pragmatist. That's kind of mm. ultimately what I come down to. What helps? Mm. What's going to help you? And so um, if it's going to help you feel less alone and isolated by feeling bonded with your group, you know, maybe you're, you're um, queer or maybe you're, you know, a person of color or maybe, you're, you know, I think that's okay as long as you aren't dehumanizing other people. Now, the, the question you asked, which is really interesting, yeah. which is how can we use self-compassion, especially this common humanity point, to help kill these divisions? There is there is some research that suggests people who score higher on the common humanity subscale are less prejudiced. Oh, wow. That's very interesting, Kristen. Yeah. And there's wow. not a lot. There's a little bit. I don't want to make too much of it, but there's a little bit of data that suggests that. Cool. Because what it leads you to, so usually, when, you know, the, the items are framed as human beings. You're not saying like your group members. I'm just saying that sometimes I, I teach it that way because it can be helpful. But what self-compassion does, even though the S word is in their self, it actually reduces the sense of separate self. With more self-compassion, you take things less personally, mm -hmm. ironically. That's what you're doing. When you frame your experience in light of the shared human experience, Everyone fails, everyone makes mistakes, everyone struggles, everyone leads an imperfect life. You're reducing the self, you're reducing self-focus. That's one of its biggest benefits is that it actually reduces self-focus. And I think when you take things less personally, then it can allow you to see other people more as human beings. And there, so there may be some way of actually harnessing the power of this to understand our shared humanity. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I, 
th- that's another book that needs to be written is just it's another book. self-compassion yeah. to heal the divides, you know. And, the divides, and, yeah. yeah. And the only reason I add about the group is because for a long, it really kind of flabbergasted me. You know, I I I was thought well, I was went to the shared humanity bit, right. but I was getting comments like from some of um some, some black participants. Yeah. I had that makes me feel kind of like you're saying we're all the same. Well, this this color blindness, this is actually it's easy for white people to say color blindness, but not if you're not a white person. You know, there is color does make a difference. Things like that. So it made me realize, wow, I've got to be. You need to be careful that. Yeah, that I expected that you would get some pushback. They, yeah. yeah, and but yeah. It, but it's also true. <laughs> So I think that's why to an it's extent. Kind of like, yeah. sometimes you need to go left. Sometimes you need to go right. It's kind of like, where are you coming from to get to that place of balance? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great, that's, a, that's the great question. It's all about the balance. Um, you yeah. know, aren't there certain situations though, where um, someone should probably have more common humanity than they do. And uh, they're like, they're being resistant to it, it to an unnecessary degree degree. Um, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, so common humanity really is the wisdom element of self-compassion. Nice. So mindfulness is more the intentional, attentional element. What are we paying attention to? What are we willing to be aware of the consciousness element? Common humanity is the wisdom element, nice. seeing the larger picture. And then, you know, it's kind of self-compassion really is well, what, what do I need to alleviate my suffering? What do I need to be well? Yeah. And and people, I think sometimes people think I'm dear Abby and like, I can tell them, I don't know. You're the only one who knows that. You, you need to use your own wisdom. Yeah. And then the kindness element is the heart element. That's the love element. And that's why you really need all three. Yeah. I think if you don't have the wisdom or you don't have, it's a system. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to think in systems. We're just poor little black and white thinkers. But it, the reality is the systems. You know yeah, that. I, I do. I love it. I love, no, I'm all about systems. Um, yeah. It's all about the whole the whole person as well. Yeah. Uh, right. Hey, hey, are you familiar with the the quiet ego research uh, with the Heidi yes, Wayman? Yeah, I know Heidi and yeah, uh huh, Jack. I know that. I love their stuff. I yeah. love that stuff. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. And they have a com. They have they they took some of your items. I think you know they. Yeah. Are, I not took. That sounds like stole stealing. But no, they no, adopted. Yeah, adopted yeah. Uh, for one of their facets. Scale. The quiet ego yeah. scale. Yeah. There's some yeah. overlap. Yeah, and that that is there is, and that's one of that is one of the things that self compassion gives you, you know. And that's also what I think we need more in the world right now. We, we do, we do. Well, it's a, we need a lot of things in the world. I mean, that's the thing I'm starting to see. Yeah, is it just depending on where you're coming from, what you need is going to differ. You know, that's why we need to empower people to ask themselves, "What do you need?" Um, because. I mean, there's also, I think the social justice movement that's happening is really important. Now, we have to do it well. We have to do it wisely. We don't want to add to the violence and the division. We don't just want to add to aggressiveness and hate and all that. We have to be really careful. And on the other hand, we need to we need to start doing something about it. We don't have a lot of time. You know, look at global warming. We don't have unlimited time for us all to sit on our cushions and get enlightened. You know, so it's like it's we we also this is why we this is why we also need the fierce energy. The quiet ego stuff is a little bit more the acceptance. So I call I call tender self compassion being with when we can be with ourselves. We can be with what is, mm. and that's kind of the transcendent, very, very important. But we are in bodies, right? Maybe ultimately we aren't. But right now we are in bodies living in a concrete, unjust world, and we also need to take action to try to change things. We need both. Yeah, then that's a big part of why you wrote your book was um, to, yeah. have, to have fierce self-compassion. But certainly you can have fierce self-compassion and, and dial down the loudness of the ego, I mean, those oh, things, well, absolutely. Well, that, actually, we can, that, and we can have a higher it. level of integration there. <laughs> and that's what makes it healthy. So, so in my, on my chapter of anger, I kind of end with, I think, talking about that is if the ego gets in the way with anger, it all goes pear-shaped. But if you can harness the power of anger in an egoless way, and yeah. it's just this energy, this young force that's being harnessed for yeah. good, that's really useful. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's that what I'm right? talking about. Well, I love good. it. Good. Yeah. It's, it, it does make your head spin a little bit, though, doesn't it? Sometimes it make you wish that, like, did I choose the right profession? My head hurts. Because, you know, because non-dual yeah. thinking. 
Paradox, yeah. all, it goes to paradox, it goes to non-dual thinking, and it, it is challenging for our brains to think, think, you know, to use our dualistic brains to think non-dual terms. Totally. But you, you got to just point it there and take your best shot. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it, Kristen. I enjoy, I enjoy like playing around with paradoxes and <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, and nerding out. Um, uh, is it a John Cha who says, if you think about it too much, your he- your head will explode. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> I'm shocked my head hasn't exploded yet. No. <laughs> uh, but um, maybe this will be the kind of last question because I a lot of I did like a Twitter Q and A, and uh, I asked people, what do you want me to ask Kristen? And by the way, a oh, lot okay. of um, oh, did you not? Do you didn't see it? Did you? You didn't see all the comments on Twitter? Maybe you didn't. So I can just tell you, a lot of people oh. were like. Chris Neff is my idol or or my mother's idol. It was one of the two. One, one of the two. Idol, my mother's idol. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is that a good thing? <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. It's very good. I'm just scrolling through. So, so um, a lot of, a lot of just, um, just a lot of love for you. Uh, yeah, or, or my wife. My also, my wife loves her work so much, and it's and is so jealous that you get to talk to her. Exclamation point is what's on it. Um, um, but then another kind of set of questions. Um, it, we talked about this kind of balance, striking the good balance. Again, we're going back to the balance thing between self-compassion, but also taking responsibility for maybe your naughty bits, you know, <laughs> you know, like the aspects of yourself that like you should work on, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, but that's one of the, that's one of the core misconceptions of self-compassion. It, yeah. it absolutely, it, research shows, the research, I think out of Berkeley shows that if you give, help people be self-compassionate, about a, a transgression, what they harmed someone in the past. It helps them take more responsibility. It doesn't lessen responsibility. It helps you take more responsibility because it's safe to admit it, right? Nice. If you're going to shame yourself, if you're going to criticize yourself, it's not safe to take responsibility. You're going to want to blame it on other people because it's too painful. Projection. So what self-compassion yeah. does is it actually increases your ability to take responsibility. It increases your motivation to improve. But it does it from a different reason. So you don't, it's not coming from a place of like, I need to improve because I'm so inadequate. Like I need to improve because I care about myself and I care about other people and I want to be healthy and well. And it's a much more sustainable motivation. It works more over time. People are more self-compassionate. They they say sorry more often. They apologize more often Mm -hmm. because again, it's safe to take responsibility. And again, that's, that's the slight, that's, that's also why I wrote this book. This is the yin and yang, the fierceness and tenderness. It's the dance of acceptance and change. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, obviously this one, Carl Rogers, the curious paradox is is the more I accept myself, the more I can change. It absolutely works that way personal responsibility. It is not saying letting yourself off the hook. Quite the opposite. You need to you need to be brave and strong to say that hurts so badly. And actually self-compassion is linked positively to shame-free guilt. It's not linked to shame, but guilt that isn't about shame, guilt which is I'm still so badly, what can I do to help? It's actually linked positively to guilt. Well, it sounds like you're saying it's a necessary but not sufficient condition uh, for taking responsibility. So some people might just stop at the self-compassion part, though, and never move on <laughs> to the taking well, but responsibility. Well, then, then they aren't being self-compassionate if they aren't Interesting. moving on. Okay, so that's like necessarily... Think about a parent. If you're a compassionate okay. parent okay. and your child does something wrong, you love them unconditionally. You know, that's that's a given. And that's the, that's the yin part. But if you're a compassionate parent, do you just say, well, whatever, just don't worry about it? Uh, so you little, you're into shoplifting, no big deal. I love you, sweetheart. Would you really be a compassionate parent? No, because you'd be, har- no, 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 seriously, you'd be harming your child. Part of being a good parent is you got to do the tough stuff and say, I care about you so much that I need to work with you to change this behavior because it's harmful. Yeah. And so if we don't take responsibility for what things we're doing that are harmful to ourselves and others, we are not, by definition, being compassionate. We aren't working in our best interest. Wow! Thank you so much for this conceptualization, and well, and kind of like uh, you know, this uh, laying this misconception to rest because you must get it like I all get day, it all every day, all day, every day, all day, every day. Yeah. And and, yeah. I, and the journalists do the journalists work about my work. Like, give yourself a break, you know, to go easy on yourself. Right. Like, 
Maybe that's what you need, but maybe what you need is like to say, you know, it's not working for me. I got to do something different. You need to apologize. You need to, you know, you need to go to anger management, whatever it is you need to do. In some ways, it's kind of almost by definition, self-compassion can't be bad for you because the definition of self-compassion is the alleviation of suffering. It's like, it's like, what do I, how do I achieve well-being? And so if you aren't achieving well-being, then it's by definition not self-compassion. Maybe we really, use unskillful means, you know, but yeah. then you need to change the means. It's, 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 um, it's the ends, not the means, right? Just like you can be, you don't want to like harm, you don't want to be so self-compassionate in a way that traumatizes you. You don't want to open up so fast that it causes you trauma because that's not being self-compassionate. So it's really just an orientation. It's an orientation of, um, yeah. Of, of wanting wellness for yourself and others because what affects you affects me and what affects me affects you because that is the truth we are interdependent there's a really deep truth there we we found in our sample of dark triad you know psychopaths that um they're very their their self coldness was up the kazoo you know so there's something about like uh you know harnessing this kind of light of uh, this this beam of lo love that you can just be flexible in terms of shining inward as well as outward yeah you know? does that make sense yeah yeah. So, so you found that narcissists were self-critical. Well, those who scored high in dark triad, which is all three, you know, they're they're you know, so psychopathy, Machiavellianism, yeah. narcissism, the, the, you know, yeah. all three. Um, interesting. I, I I should look at just narcissists. Uh, those who score high in narcissism. What what's your prediction there? You know, the narcissists are um, just. I have no idea what what would <laughs> self-compassion look yeah. like in a narcissist. I really. Don't know. It'd be really fascinating. I'll crunch those numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do know if you if you take like the Rosenberg self esteem scale and self compassion, they're they're pretty highly correlated. But if you partial out their their shared variance, I actually published a paper. Narcissism was only correlated with self esteem and didn't correlate at all with self compassion. Mm, that's so. Um, that's revealing. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of orthogonal. Well, so for instance, we created um, the op the counterpart to the dark triad. We created a light triad, and yeah. and we were curious what the light triad correlated with self compassion, and we found like point eight zero correlation. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was so That's high, really so high. Yeah. Um, the the three so aspects of the light triad. I, I can send you the paper afterwards. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you'd really find this interesting. But um, just want to thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on my podcast twice, but also uh, you know nerding out with me again. I hope you enjoyed it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I did a podcast and talked about bifactor factor exploratory structural <laughs> equation modeling. <laughs> did you enjoy it? <laughs> I did. It's fun. I got to use all parts of my brain. It's good. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, all the best in this book tour. And um, I'm sure you'll be helping lots of uh, men and women, you know, uh, uh, get, get in touch with their own sort of unique self-actualization and uh, acceptance. So thanks so much. I, I'm serious, Scott. I'm charging you with writing the follow-up book for men. You're the perfect I person love it. for it. You know, <laughs> like when you said that earlier today, I got chill. I really got chills. Like my whole body got chills. And that usually only happens when there's some, some really germ of a, a seed of a, of something that really is inspiring me whole body, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Cause that book needs to be written. But, but you know, if you yeah. look at your reach, it's partly because you're able to uh, talk about that the more yeah. the motions in, in a credible way which is really useful so well, thanks Christine. anyway thanks for being so <laughs> <Thank> awesome <you. laughs> great fun <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of the psychology podcast if you'd like to react in some way to something you heard i encourage you to join in the discussion at the psychologypodcast.com that's the psychologypodcast.com also if you'd prefer a completely ad-free experience you can join us at patreon.com slash psychpodcast. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.